0: Welcome to Rogue Bows. This is episode forty seven in a trying time, basketball wise, around the world. Thanks for joining us. At Rogue Bogues. Remember to follow us at Hoop Consultants. Welcome, Mike. How's it going?
1: Bogues, what do you have to, brother?
0: Uh, not much, man. Just floating about, reading, studying, seeing everything going on right now. The NBAs, which we'll get to shortly, <laughs> is an interesting time right now. But
1: uh,
0: other than that, all good.
1: Yeah, uh, interesting to say the least for sure. Uh, I, I'm sure we got a lot to talk to on it.
0: Yeah, let's roll. Let's start with our team of the week. I'm not sure what you got this week, but I'm going my team of the week, Memphis Grizzlies, 9-1 and one in their last 10, five straight with no Ja Morant. Really, really impressive. I've, they've really, really come together well uh, really well balanced team. Brooks, Jackson Jr., Bain play real well together. I'm not sure how you see him, but they're building something nice in Memphis. You bring John ja Morant back into that fold. Um, they don't have to rush him back because they're playing so well. But I, I was shocked. I thought they would, um, they'd be, you know, tracking 500, maybe around there, maybe 400 without him, you know, just, just getting by, just enough to get him back and then have a boost. But shit, I definitely didn't expect 9 and 1. Uh, they're playing a really good round of basketball and they've been some good teams along the way.
1: No, I mean, Memphis has been fantastic. I mean without Ja Morant is ridiculous. Just like you said. I mean, no one expected it everyone expected him to come back to Earth without him. And they've and they've everybody's just next man up. They just stepped up and they've been crushing it. I'm gonna go with Cleveland again. Shit. Five in a row, eight out of the last ten. Killing people. Now, their schedule this week wasn't great, but I mean, they're, they're rolling. I had them at the bottom of the East in the beginning of the year. They're doing JV Pickersaf and those guys are doing an unbelievable job. Jared Allen fucking saving my fucking fantasy team. I love the, I mean, he's been playing great. Kevin Love's the resurrection of Kevin Love, the rising of the Titanic. I mean, it's it's unbelievable, guys. He's been good minutes. off the bench. Yeah, he's Absolutely. been very good off the bench. So good, you know, good things there. I mean, they haven't had much to cheer about in a while. So happy for those guys.
0: Yeah, they they, they were actually actually put almost put them in, and then I saw Memphis. We haven't given them some love, so I thought I had them. So yeah, they're, they're definitely two teams that I guess in the preseason, no one was really talking about too. So that's always fun to watch. Team of the week for me, weak. Look, I know it's a rebuild, pro, but Detroit. I mean, <laughs> they're. 14 straight losses, obviously, makes them 0-10 in their last 10. Whenever you lose double digits in a row, I don't care who you are and how bad you're predicted to be, it's not good. And I know their tank is in full effect, but they these kind of tank years for some teams that lead into losses like this, they can actually hinder your development more than help it at times because- they don't, they're not going to value winning at all this season and, you know, the unfortunately incentive in pro sports in most leagues that have a, a, a draft is that, the you know, the shitter you are, the better the pick you get, which isn't great, but it's a dangerous line when you get this bad and it's just like, all right, guys, let's just go try to win one. It just sets a bad kind of mentality in go- young guys on that roster and they've got a lot of young, young talent they're developing. Cunningham looks like a player. You just want to make sure you're not kind of normalizing winning if that makes sense pro but they're, they're definitely my team of the week um, even though they are they are in tank mode but yeah 14 straight's not good and they, you know they lose a few more they're going to start getting close to record territory which um, I'll look up as you answer who your team of the week is and, and whether you agree with mine.
1: I do agree that they, they're they not doing very well right now and, and I agree with that with losing to a certain degree Sort of negates what you're trying to do, as far as hey, look, we're losing games. I get it, we're tanking, but we're trying to do it the best way that we can. But they've uh, they've gotten to, at a certain territory that we thought maybe Houston was going to have. It's not a pretty scene. Just not to mirror you all the time, I, I do agree with you. I'm going to go with the Washington Wizards now. Last four in a row, two out of their last 10 on the win column. Started the season very well. Those guys did a great job. They've been battling, but they're losing a little bit of steam right now and they're in seventh. Right now, there's not a lot. There's only about a half game between them and Boston who's in 10th. Could be a stiff drop for them, especially if guys start getting a little frustrated and, and you know maybe voicing you got Bradley Beal. You don't know what's going to happen with him. You've got some things happening but hopefully they could those guys have done a a remarkable job in the beginning of the year hopefully they could sort of turn their stuff around but right now they're they're sort of on a downward sort of pace i wouldn't say a spiral but they're not they're not looking too great these days
0: no, they're not. They're not. They're um, yeah, they're all over the place. That's for sure. And they weren't picked highly preseason. They sh- they surprised a lot of us, and we all said, "Oh shoot, maybe they'll be a you know middle of the pack Eastern Conference team." But I think um, reality's starting to set in. They're not sneaking up on anyone anymore. Um, they have, still have a decent roster, but I think they'll float in. They should mm-hmm. get into a playing game regardless. But um, yeah, they were definitely a candidate sure. for those wondering at home. The most games. Ever lost in a row, 26 Philadelphia 76ers in the 2013-14, trust the process years, I believe. Cavaliers are actually tied with them at 26 in 2010-2011. The bottom of that list in the top 25 or 30-odd is – San Francisco Warriors in 64 65 made had 17 in a row. So Detroit are getting close to the top 30 all time if they don't win a few more games. Um, and doesn't look like it's gonna be any easier for them. So they've had, had some injuries, some ins and outs. Jeremy Grant now looks like he's out for a while and he's trying to get out of there. So I anticipate them being the season team of the week because <laughs> it's not going to get any better. But um, we'll watch, we'll watch that space. NBA, COVID man, everywhere. You know, I joked about on social saying that we're at a point where they just need to, they need to advise who's not in the protocols rather than who's in the protocols pro. Cause it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's starting, to, yeah. starting to outweigh itself. Um, NBA board of governors call on Friday overwhelming sentiment about NBA owners to do whatever is necessary to avoid postponements and cancellations this season, league sources said. In the backdrop of that view, they outlined a plan regarding replacement players were approved by the Board of Governors during a meeting Friday. Basically, after the first case of COVID, a team would be able to permit it to add a 10-day player, but after a second, third, and fourth case, teams will be required to add a 10-day player. They would be, yeah. So, teams would be limited to three replacement players, and salaries won't count against the cap or tax. As it's going on, like I I said um, the on, on our quality and there's 24 players out in the Magic versus Nets game today going on right now as we speak. 24 pro. I'm not great at math, but that leaves you with a three on three essentially <laughs> with some G League guys. Yeah. But it's, it's 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 scary times. It's teetering. It's teetering. It's looking like who knows what can happen. I'm, I'm not sure if they have a hub set up and, as an emergency, if, you know, what what, what what that's all looking like. What are you hearing on that side of the world with with the season? Will, will it continue to go on? Will they have to pause? What's going on?
1: I don't think anybody knows. I think people, you know, Jeff Van Gundy was talking about it on the Mavs uh, Laker game the other night. You know, he's thinking that's going to be either another bubble or a pause, and you know, a lot of people you just start you, know, you start hearing that more and more in the media. I don't think really anybody knows, and I agree with the owners. Like, if I'm if I'm an owner, and I'm like, I don't think that they, they want they want any stop to the season. I think they got to find a way to get it done. The problem is now you start getting into these rosters. You know, somebody was joking around tonight. Drew Hanlon, was an NBA trainer who um, tweeted out like the starting lineups to I think the Charlotte. No. Was the Orlando and Brooklyn game and, and and I tweeted back at him because like the names that were on there like Robin Lopez is on it and Blake Griffin were but like literally everybody else Patty was. Patty was on it. Yep. Yeah, Patty was on it too. I said you were in a Euro game because I have fucking no idea what he where he was at, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's unbelievable. But like that's the thing. All right hey we need this money train to keep going we think we could keep going through it we don't want to just stop or have to do a bubble it's just going to mess everything up yet do you want a product that has those players on it you know where most of them are going to be d-league guys guys that you have to call up and the league gives you that sort of exception to, to you know on your roster if you have covid to sign these players it's a look i don't think there's one absolute answer that you have it's definitely impacting things I think I don't know folks. like what do you think like how how badly do you want to keep the season going when you have players that are you know no-name players now yes it's great to get in get you know get them games and you know get new guys responsibilities as far as getting getting their feet wet in the NBA but I mean your fans are sitting there and saying you know I didn't pay to see these guys I paid to see you know, star
0: X, Y, Z. Oh, it's going to hurt ticket sales. There's no doubt about that. Um, one fold is case numbers are going up again. Two is, yeah, exactly that. I'm paying, you know, LA paying big money to see player X come to town. The Brooklyn Nets, I'm here to see, you know, Kevin Durant play, not not a guy that's fringe roster playing 30 minutes. So that will th- affect things. Owners are really scared of a hub um, because it, takes away their bottom line with with ticket sales and whatnot. Um, hurts that. Joellen Bead made some comments, which I thought were interesting. Um, he said, I thought last year there was great precautions in place and this year it was just all over the place and I just thought it was unprofessional and that's where we are now. So he, he's he's... Obviously sp- spoken out about what I talked about on the call in that there's been a bit of complacency and that comes with 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 the fatigue of 2 years of a pandemic right um where people were just going to start getting on with life um my whole thing is with the NBA I, I think they can continue on I think they spooked that their 95% plus is 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 or everyone at least playing now is is pretty much fully vaccinated with boosters if not um if not the double dose so I don't think the players are a threat to themselves I think you know we haven't even had have I mean, we even had a uh, NBA player hospitalized. I don't believe we have that has caught the virus, not one. So by looking at those numbers, I would just basically protect the fans to an extent. So maybe maybe you get rid of the front row, the front two rows, you set it back a few meters so there's no contact or direct contact within a couple of meters from players or you know, 5, 10, 15 feet, whatever you want to make it. And you get on with the games and there's no there's no crowd interaction, unfortunately. So that's the that's the one thing you lose. No high-fiving you know, fans as you come out of the tunnel. Keeping spacing in that, I think it can, can continue on because NBA players are pretty secure and Sheltered from the public for the most part, and we can make that a little bit more aggressive. I think it can continue on, but I guess the worry that people will say is, well, if these players are flying around, they can pass it on to flight attendants and fans and at community events. Well, that my solution then is we we completely stop all the community events, the fan events. We don't have fan interactions, so then the main players are playing, and you know at the end of the day, if they have COVID. Just you can get on with it, right? Um, But that would that, that's just basing it on they are the most in shape human beings in the world, they're professional athletes, and none of them have been hospitalized. So that's one one way to go about it. Um, I don't think they'll do that. that. That's just a suggestion that I have, thinking out loud. Because, like I said, a lot of people say, well, they they, they could infect other people. That's why that's why they need to lock down. And then if they have it, they can basically then go arena, hotel, hotel, home, nowhere else while they have it. They have strict strict protocol where they can't be out partying and clubbing, obviously. And you wouldn't want to do that if you had it anyway. You'd be an idiot to do it, but that's a solution. Otherwise, I really don't know. Like I said, do, do they have a hub? I assume the NBA has panic button scenarios where they probably do have something oh, yeah, as a for backup. Sure. You, you, they'd have to, right? Um, whether it's Disney, yeah. whether it's Vegas, whether it's wherever. But I know the union is very anti the hub. So, that's, that's, a, that's definitely something they have to negotiate with the union. But I, I don't know, man. Um, it's causing havoc in everything, even betting. Um, no one knows. Like we, we were asked on the call in, who's our favorites? Who the hell knows? Who's going to be healthy? Who's going to who's going to lose their whole starting lineup in a playoff series for 10, 10 to fourteen days with six games, five games? You know, like you just don't. There's so many variables this season. Again, it's a better nightmare. It's you just don't know. So one thing that was interesting is Kyrie's back, <laughs> um, and. Man, it's basically telling me that wins are more important than than the virus at this point because they're in they're in the doldrums. Um, Brooklyn need to win games right now to stay afloat in the top two, top three in the East. Joe Sai, who was adamant on well, you know, he's very heavy pro vaccination, and said if Corey's not going to vax, I don't even want him to play road games. He can just stay home. Well, he's changed his tune now, pro, because he's a team owner and he needs to win games. Um, And he's basically said that, yeah, I need to win games for our team. So basically, Kobe's going to take a back seat. They're allowing him back in the fold for road games only. Obviously, he can't play at home, but they, they need him now. And that was an interesting, you know, interesting holdout by Kari. So he's got one foot back in the door. It'd be interesting to see if you know, those those mandates cease in um, in New York and he can start playing home games by playoff time.
1: Yeah, I think it would be a disaster, a PR nightmare if they let him play in New York without, you know, without the vaccinations, if those are the rules, if, they, if those rules are still intact. Look, everybody wants to be Mr. or Mrs. Integrity until it affects your bottom line or affects your, win, you know, your win-loss record. And I think people just go back on that. And that's what the difference between teams with true culture and the teams that hang up signs that they say they have culture in their locker room. I I think that, you know, look, if that's, if that's your stance, that's your stance, you know, look, they're good. They're a good team. You know, they're, they're, I wouldn't say a dynasty type team, but they could win multiple (laughs) championships if they, you know, maybe something gets figured out in the future with Kyrie with the vaccination or the rules change or whatnot. But I don't know. I'm just not a big fan of going back on your word unless it's deathly. you need to do. It's a life or death situation. And it just goes to show most, you know, most people are just going to, you know, they're going to preach it being, you know, all this integrity and culture stuff until it affects them, their bottom line or affects them. And that's just sort of how it. That's how I see it. And maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. That's just sort of the way I see things. And um, yeah, it's a it's just a shit show on wheels. Well, look, if you're gonna let them play part time in the beginning of the year, I'm all for it. But like, let's get a plan. Let's stick to it. And that we're gonna stick to our guns, regardless for eighty two and zero or eighty two or forty one forty one. But obviously, that's sort of where we are. To
0: win, bro, <laughs> you got a championship to win. COVID can wait. Yeah. I have a championship ring I need and COVID can wait and then yeah and then we'll 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 kick him off the team once we've got that chip and then make him double back. So that, that's that's what I'm reading for this. There is hypocrisy. One last piece in this, I had a little chuckle about some honesty from Andrew Wiggins and I love honesty and whether he's right or wrong, that's not the point of why I'm putting this out there. But um a journalist asked him if he's glad he got vaccinated given the cases spiking all across the NBA. The answer was no I'm not, but it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> I just love that he didn't go the political route of like, yeah, I am actually because he just said, "Ah, I'm I'm good. I'm still disappointed. I had to get it and it is what it is. But shout out to Wiggins there for a bit of, uh, a bit of honesty, which you don't see very often. Like I said, you might heavily disagree with what he said, but um, at least he was honest about it. But let's hope the NBA can continue on because we, um, we love to to get on our weekly podcast and talk about it. A lot of people get joy in watching the games, um, but it, it is, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's Russian roulette right now. Damned if you do, damned if you don't, what do they do? Who knows? It's yeah the case case numbers are rising but we'll see we'll watch that space so pro the whole indiana pacers team wants out <laughs> So That's what I'm reading. Uh, mm-hmm. bonus is, you know, there's, there's leaks now. Miles Turner, so bonus. I think we can just basically draw a line through the roster and say they all pretty much want out. Um, if anyone can jump ship, they, they will. Um, obviously, that's not going to happen, but I think they're – I'm looking at it as a rebuild. So, I might want to tell their owner, Herb Simon, he has come out and said that he's happy with the current team and we are not rebuilding, pro. Um, so, I'm not sure if he's watching the same games we are, but uh, Herb, I think you're, you're within an iota of a blow-up. Um, and I think you just need to get on with it if you want to have some longevity as a small market pro. But uh, what are your thoughts around around the paces? How how hard do you think they go with a blow up? Do they they you know they listen to office for everyone from what I've heard? No one's untouchable, which you rarely see these days. Pro, there's always one or two guys that they kind of eh, we really don't want to move them. They're kind of untouchable, but they, they look like their whole their whole um, roster is up for ransom.
1: Yeah, I, I do. I think that those guys are just tired of losing, and I don't think it has a lot to do with what's going on this year. I just think that you know those guys have been around that they. I mean, they just really haven't had much playoff success. And then you had the debacle last year, what happened? And then they're just not winning this year, you know, th- for one reason or another. Look, their roster is filled with decent NBA players, even up top. Not great NBA players, but good NBA players. And But good NBA players isn't good enough to win, especially in the East this year. I do think that everybody's on the block. I, I do think that, look, the owners are going to say the PR thing. They're just going to say, you know, they're going to say everything's great. And that's obvious. And... and I think they need to, they can't blow it up where the young players, Rick's not a, pl- a coach that's going to, you know, wait around with young players. It's just not. I just, plus they're not that, they're not bad enough to get in the top two. You know, no one's going to give them like an unprotected pick for any of those guys. They'll give you players. Like I think that they, what they should do is they should combine players, trade them for a really good player that might be on the market. You know, trade them for, I don't know, McCollum. Trade them for, you know, if you can get Ben Simmons. And if you have to trade a, a combination of these guys, Levert and Sabonis. Sabonis, Brogdon, Brogdon, Levert. You know, whatever it is. And trade it. But, like, get players back that, you know, that, like, maybe you could shed some salary. Maybe you could, you know, get a player that's, you know, in... A little bit better than what you have they're just new names which is great you just sort of change things change the players just sort of change what you're looking at every day but I think you could combine some of those players in the roster and get something good I just wouldn't give you great I wouldn't give you great picks or players for anything on that roster but what I would do is I'd give you a pretty good player for two of those guys you know if I'm like look if you're if you're a team that needs it, yeah. But I'm not giving you an unprotected pick that's going to be in the top five or six. I'd probably act best for, say, Sabonis is the best player in that roster. I'm probably going to give you protected to 10, you know, a pick protected to 10 for him. I'm not going to give you unprotected. It's just he doesn't have that value. Miles Turner is a good player, hell of a shot blocker, good big guy but I'm not giving you the farm for those guys. I'm giving you, like I said, if you combine them, maybe I'll give you something, you know, but I'm not going to give you a great player. They're sort of like what San Antonio is. They're not bad enough to be a top two in the draft. You know, it's even if you clear things out, because you're going to have to take players back, you know, in these trades and they're going to be something. So maybe they can get down a little bit. Now, Indiana's not great right now, but I can't see them being worse than Detroit and some of these teams. I just don't, they're, it's, they're in a tough situation right now because their roster is just, bleh, eh. And, like, I don't think there's a huge market for those guys. I could be wrong, but I just don't see it that way.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, they might get a, you know – Second tier, third tier starts a bit younger for maybe two or three of those guys in a package, or I'm not sure, but it's not it's not looking um, it's not looking great there. I mean, they're they're, they're, they're like I said, they're within an iota of a complete block, complete rebuild. Um, I just don't see they have them having enough to even be a contending playoff team for a while, and and then even the young guys, like who who do they develop? They they can surround a squad around. Forte. They don't really yeah they don't really have much there. They got some got some young younger shooters, but they don't have that oof, that superstar right. The poor George when they had him when he was there and, and those kind of guys. So, leading into that, Dennis Smith Jr. made a post about you know, Rick Carlisle and we spoke about it a little bit on a call-in as well. So, they'll be at the end of this podcast with the Q&As. But um, it's, yeah, I mean, Luka Doncic as well, that stuff's been rehashed. And, and I, I guess you got asked about it and you were there with, with a lot of that stuff. But Dennis Dennis Smith Jr. was, was pretty scathing with, with his remarks about how you know, one week he was told to do one thing, then he was told to do another thing, and then then he was, you know, the franchise guy, and then he wasn't, and then we love you, and then we hate you, and he, he just felt like he was yo-yoed into you know mental anguish, essentially. And um, I'm not sure if, if if you agree with that because you were there around that, but um, give us your thoughts around around you know Dennis Smith Jr.'s comments.
1: Yeah, Dennis had an interesting career in, in Dallas. Look, he came in; they liked him very. They liked him right off the bat you know they loved him right off the bat like a month or so before the draft that's where their guy that's what they wanted to do with their with their pick and they had aspirations of him being Russell Westbrook and you know coming up leading up to the draft you know there's a lot of Donovan Mitchell talk in the article that was written and I didn't hear that a lot like they loved his workout they loved him as a kid but like the like in the draft room, his name really wasn't heavily mentioned. It wasn't, all right, who are we going to take, Donovan or or Dennis Smith? I remember getting the intel that the Knicks were going to take uh, Nakia, Nakia. And uh, probably, like, after the second pick, I found out. And I remember giving that to Cuban. And then they were, like, ecstatic because they're going to get their guy. So, they got him. He had a great summer league. Great summer league. You know, again, everyone's like, wow, we got the next Westbrook, this and that. You know, and it just... Look, he... I didn't love him coming into the draft, uh, you know, just because, look, I think that when you have a coach that can coach a certain guy, a certain type of point guard, right? Like, and this kid was going to be a project for sure as far as how to run a, be a point guard in the NBA. You'll never turn him into prototypical. I don't think you should. If he's not, I don't think you should, but it was going to take some time. And I think these NBA players sometimes, when you draft them, they treat them like a bride and groom getting ready for a wedding. You, you spend 15 months getting ready, getting ready for a wedding. You spend a hundred grand. You, you get married in a castle. Everything's great. And then nobody put in any work into actually working on what a, what, what marriage is going to be like. And they get divorced in a year. And I think that, like, when you're thinking about drafting a guy like that and you know who your coach is, like, what type of point guard would be good for him? You know, look, I think like T- McConnell will be good for him. JJ Beret is good for him. You know, Brogdon's good for him like Luke Rittenau would have been good for him but a guy that has to develop you have to go through the you have to go through ups and downs and a lot of downs as far as like running plays and you know because he couldn't really shoot that great so I think there was a lot of ups and downs and they weren't ready for it and you know how it is folks they love you one minute then one minute they're looking at other people it just is what it is and yeah I I agree like I think they wanted him to play fast one day and then you're playing too fast All right, you're going to play slow well you're playing too slow and it, it, it was tough for him to deal with and look for what i'll, I'll give it a hundred percent i thought dennis smith was a great kid i thought dennis smith did anything that you asked him to do you know and and i, I didn't think that he was going to be like that coming in and he and he had some you know not so great wiring coming into the nba look he came in you know he was bas- basically could do whatever he want in high school and college and no one really sort of gave him structure so he just sort of played And then, you know, he'd have to get used to doing the day to day things that a pro is going to do. And look, he was, like I said, he handled it like a champ. Sometimes he didn't. And sometimes like he was late or, or or things like that. But for, you know, any way you wanted him to play, he was like, okay with it. But he just got frustrated into the frustrating situation. And a guy like that, if you're going to develop him into being the player that he was going to be, you have to ride with him and you have to, you have to be by his side, ups and downs and be consistent with that. And I think that like everybody's trying to win. You got a, a situation where team wants to win. They won a championship a few years before and they're just not used to developing a point guard like that. And I thought he was going to be Eric Bledsoe when, when we had him. I didn't think he was going to be Russell Westbrook. I thought he was going to be a really good streaky shooting two that could really guard people that could get out in transition and really fuck the game up with his athleticism and being able to just play hard. And it, It just wasn't a great relationship. And yeah, you make moves like that again, when you draft a guy where your coach is so highly coveted in the organization, I don't think you draft a guy like that. If your coach is that highly coveted and you know that that's just going to be problems, you know, like trading for Rondo, I would do, I would trade Jay Crowder for Rondo 10 times out of 10. But knowing like how that was going to be with the relationship, I would, I would, I would have stayed away from it. You know, just off that—not the talent part, but that I would draft. I would draft Dennis Smith for sure, and I think Dennis Smith could have been a really good player. But you have to play him, and you have to live and die with his mistakes, and continue to, to develop That being said, the the Christette for Porzingis trade—I would have traded Dennis for Porzingis, even if he became a good player. I would have still done the trade at that time. Yeah, you know, NBA players—you know this, folks—like. They think that, like, a lot of people think that you get drafted in the first round of the lottery, you're just going to, you're on easy street. You're going to be LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, and guys like that. You're like Andy Dufresne from Shawshank Redemption. That's who you are mostly as an NBA rookie, especially if you're drafted with a coach that you're not going to, you know, you're not going to get really, like, be great with coming from two ends of the spectrum. You, you're going to play for a team that you, you have to earn your spot. One day they love you, one day they don't. You're on the trading block. And like Andy Dufresne, like you, you, you got to plan your escape in the sense that you got to be mentally tough every day and roll with it and continue to be get better and roll with the ups and downs, roll with going to the D league, rolling with all these things. But I really think you need a plan for these guys. And I don't think we, I don't think they had a good enough plan. Look, I got taken off of working with young guys his draft, and um, I didn't really deal with him a lot on the floor. I dealt with him a lot with meetings, talking to him, and trying to help him. And it was frustrating for him. But I'll tell you one thing: he never said a bad word about Luka Doncic. Like I, I don't say what, what's going on in meetings, you know, with team, you know, players and stuff. But I will tell you one thing: he never had any ill will. Or, or even though he, you know Luka got drafted the year after, and you know he went from being the starting point guard to Luka being the future, he handled that very well. I think he just wanted to play and he wanted someone that's like you know, who's going to have his back and play and I think that he probably thought he got fucked and it's a weird situation you know. Yeah yeah no
0: doubt I mean yeah I mean and, and he, that was a some of the reasoning for the trade there was leaks from, from Dallas saying that I get along with Luca, which was horrend, horrendously funny because they were supposed to be really close um, but someone, obviously, from the organization was trying to, you know, make up a reason as to why they moved on from him so fast and and, and all that. Um, and then, obviously, yeah, that ended the way it did. But he's he's getting some minutes now. I think he's in Portland, right? Getting a little bit of playing time. Yeah, he's in
1: Portland.
0: He had a game the other night. Uh, maybe last week we had a uh, 20 ball. So, hopefully, he rehashes it and um, just thought his comments were, well, interesting. Your guy, Danny Ainge, bro. Back to Utah. Ah, that's great. BYU affiliations, Utah affiliations. Good fit for Utah. Smart move, you think?
1: Yeah, anytime you could add someone like Danny to your staff and and your organization, it just makes you that much stronger. The organization is such a good spot anyway but having a guy that could just oversee things and you could sort of bounce things off of is great. You know, working with Danny's, yeah, he doesn't have to make a million thing, you know, changes like he did when he he, he took Boston over and he felt as though he had a trade like Antoine Walker and changed the whole roster. He's got a team that's a borderline Western conference final team with, you know, with a franchise player and a bunch of great, you know, really good players on it, a good coach, a uh, very good coach. And so I think he's good. I, I just think it's like their GM, Justin Zanuck is very good, but I think having a guy that could just oversee and, and just sort of be someone that you could sort of sound you know be a sounded board for and bounce things off of he's had look he you know i think he he took that team to like i want to say five western eastern conference finals uh appearances i mean he did really well for boston and building that organization up and winning a championship i think i think he's great and yeah i think i think it was a great decision i'm glad that he didn't try to get portland i'm trying to i'm glad he He's you know obviously huge in the Mormon community and huge with Utah loves you know loves Salt Lake and you know loves being there. He's a great dude, man. Uh, I I really enjoyed working for him. I believe he has a
0: house down there too, doesn't he?
1: I think he does. Yeah, he's yeah. got houses in a lot of
0: places. Yeah, he's got connections to the city. His son obviously played played for BYU when I was in Utah as well, so he's he's loved down there. And I think um yeah they got they got a really good chance to I think they're they're, they're tweaks away from from maybe getting to that conference final slash finals. I don't think they're obviously. Like you said that he doesn't need to come in like in Boston where it's like, Hey, we need to, you know, blow the roster up and, and get some picks and develop and XYZ and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's got a, an interesting job where I think, like I said, it could be a tweak or two away of some genius of Danny Ainge to get them finally back to that final series. So we'll, we'll watch that space pro now after, you know, go after my own team a little bit. Um, but. I don't know if you saw the score, but the, the Sydney Kings got absolutely pummeled in Melbourne. One of those games for the Sydney Kings is how you put it. Uh, it was 24 to 5 in the first quarter, pro. Um, we had zero points with three or four minutes remaining in the quarter and then became, holy shit, are we going to score? <laughs> we ended up losing 89 to 47, pro. It was very, very ugly. Nothing went right. Everything went Nothing went right for us. Everything went right for them. One of those nights that you just chalk up to you know, you lost in the first five minutes. The game was basically over. We were, we just couldn't, couldn't get it back. People in the media freaking out and we're copping a lot of shit from people that, that already don't like us, which was fine. But I was quietly pumped about it, bro, after the game. So uh-huh. we, we lost the game by 40, we got pummeled, got laughed at. Do you know why I was pumped for it? No. Because we had a game two days later. Huh. And I mean, as an owner or as a GM or as a coach, probably not so much as a coach because you're in the bubble, but as a suit, you, you you're really going to figure out what your team is made of. And that's why I was pumped. And people might, look, might listen to this and go, "You're crazy. You lost by forty. How are you pumped?" No, I was pumped because we had a game two days later, which was last night here in Australia against the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, who were tipped as one of the championship favourites. They're healthy. We're unhealthy. We've got a few outs. Um, you know, our, our best, in, one of our best imports, is out. We've got other guys banged up. Guys back from injury. But you know what? This is a perfect opportunity to show what. What we're made of. What what are we? Are we gonna now go into a, a six game losing streak and pout, or are we gonna come back and punch them in the face? And we did, and that's why I was pumped. I thought there's no better time for us to do this than second week of the season. You don't want this to happen late in the season because that's a whole different test. And we want to iron out these ups and downs early. So I was pumped for it. We came out last night, punched them in the face, um, we're up double digits early, never relinquished that. one by I think we won by ten at the end of the game or eleven, and it was just um, a real. Kind of insight into the psyche of of being part of a club and and what you should think about, you know. Like I'm not gonna lie, during the game I turned it off in the third quarter. Um, you know, it was it was a really hard to watch, and the game was over, and it was like, you know what? And it's a frustrating game to watch, as it would be for the players to play. So just gonna kind of calm down a little bit, and then after after I gave it some thought, I was like, I'm actually really excited for the next game, and and then we have got another game on, on on potentially on Wednesday. So. Um, Yeah, man. I I don't know what your thoughts are around that. We'll talk about it a little bit more in story time, but there's a whole psyche within seasons and and different battles that you face that that can be all kind of pulled up and boxed up into into your success or your failure, right? And I think that's a big part that people don't don't understand that are everyday fans.
1: Yeah, there's going to be nights where it just, you know, nothing you do is going to be right and then everything your opponent's going to do it is going to be right and they're going to pumble you and you know in the first few minutes like yeah this is not going to be good and anything that you do anything that you do ain't going to be right you know and, and like it's just going to be a hard night it's just going to be one of those nights where it's just going to you just going to get pumbled, and you know it could be against anybody you know, just that—that's it. Like in college, you get those cupcakes in your schedule that you knew that you're gonna beat by fifty or thirty or twenty-five, and they're just gonna be easy. In the NBA or in the NBL, when you're playing pro, not there aren't a lot of teams like that, and you can get your brains beat in at any given night. And but, like you said, there's so many of these games that you're just gonna go into the next one, and you know you're just gonna go on to the next game, and you just gotta—you—you you, you can't wear it on your sleeve every game. Everybody wants to win, I get it. But there are going to be games where you suck and you're just going to deal with it. Then you're going to be a sucky team and then one night you're going to do everything right and you're going to beat this team. You had no business beating. So, yeah, it's just um, it's an interesting thing. And, yeah, I, I saw that I saw that interview, you know, the post-conference with your coach, and he did not look happy, man. He did not look <laughs> he happy.
0: He texted me and said he's going he's gonna to kill her What did you say? He looks like a serial killer or something. Dude,
1: I, I forgot, but he looked like... Yeah, I would not fuck with him. Like, he, he he was a horror movie waiting to happen, you know, because he was not happy. And you could definitely see that.
0: Yeah, but we look, Xavier Cooks made some comments and said, you know, it's one game, and and it is. And mm-hmm. I think that's the right mindset to have. You don't get – you know, we play – there is percentage that plays its part in the NBL. At the end of the day, you don't get an extra win. You don't get five wins for blowing someone out by 40, and you don't get five losses for losing by 40, and it's the right mindset to have. You You come back, and as bad as that night was, if you back it up with another egg – Last night, and then you got two shooty games on a weekend. Then yeah, you deserve everything that comes with it. But the fact that they came back and fought, we had every excuse, um, injuries, this, that just had a bad game. Our confidence is down and it's a big test for teams. So, so for coaches out there listening, whether you coach juniors or whether you coach a semi pro team or even a pro team, you know, sometimes these, these kind of things are, are are important as part of your journey. You know, you got to have, you got to have the the tough times because. No one ever wins a championship by having no adversity or moments of of, of, of not being comfortable and, and you have to go through that now. Before that game last week, the, the Melbourne Derby was on the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix versus Melbourne United. Did you see the dunk, bro? So I'm gonna ask you.
1: I did, no, I did. Cause I saw that there was like a big commotion going on on Twitter. and yeah, it blew up. I checked it out and yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah,
0: Delhi's verticality was textbook. Up. <laughs> but he's, he's not seven foot, though. I think he forgot that he's not seven foot, and then he fell on his ass. Uh, it, yeah, it made the news all over all over the world. It's millions and millions of views. Great for the NBL. Um, Mason Petling came in came in, and what did you think about his little uh, shirt front um, takeout of Creek?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know, man. I, I think the guy. I think people just get a little bit bottled up during games, and they just let some emotions out. I mean, fuck, you get dunked on, everybody gets dunked on. Who cares? But. Take a guy out he's not looking. I don't know. Yeah, it it's- wasn't
0: good. It wasn't good. He got a game suspension. I probably thought he should have got maybe another another game on top of that. Um, people said, "Oh, well, Creek shouldn't have stood over Delhi. He didn't really stand over him. He just yelled and showed some emotion." So I don't think he did too much. Even Delly said, "I don't care. I got dunked on. Big deal. I've been dunked on hundreds of times in my career, and I don't I don't really care." And but yeah, it was it was interesting because it's, it's dangerous precedent when you when you take someone out without them looking, and it then caused a little bit of an all in, which had players and. Bench clear and all that kind of stuff. So, a few suspensions there. But to finish up NBL, there's a guy, Pro. Look, in the NBL, we have – I call them courtside jest- jesters, Pro. Some teams have, Nice. Some teams have – they literally are, though. Some teams have a guy on a microphone, wireless microphone, that runs around the court, uh-huh. walks up and down the stairs, and just like, come on, crowd, get involved. Come on. Oh, boo this player.
1: Oh, one of those guys, yeah. <laughs> and you're just mm-hmm. like,
0: it's so – It's just so 1990s, and it needs to go. I'm not a fan of it. The Melbourne United guy's name is Wayne Peterson, absolute just worst of the worst. He's had numerous issues over his 20, 30 years with players and coaches, and he – Got in trouble during that game because he made some borderline racial remarks. I don't think they were racist, but they weren't. They weren't in good taste. With um, Hungry Jacks, is our you know Burger King. Is we call it Hungry Jacks here. They have a promotion that if you miss if an opposing player misses two free throws in a row, the whole crowd gets a free cheeseburger that night. So the crowd really oh, nice. yeah, the crowd really gets up on their feet when people are shooting free throws. They miss the first one, and then it, it's it's a good thing for the crowd. It's actually a great promotion. I love it by Hungry Jacks and the NBL. I think it's a very clever one. But he's at the free throw line, and, and Joe Chi and and uh, the Chinese guy that was with Houston. He he said something along the lines of like there's no point making noise you won't understand what you're saying anyway something like that right like poor taste you know the guys the guys are face of the league whatever so he's got a two game suspension for that but my point is the guy should be gone like he's we, we played them in game two of the semifinals much similar to our last game against United a couple of nights ago they beat us by 50 or 40 they were up by 60 at one point in game two we won game one they won game two and this guy we had Casper Ware who was a former player of theirs a championship winning former player I believe of theirs um and the, the way he treated him, you know, Casper had a horrible shooting night and, and just was tormenting him on the microphone during the whole game. And, and you're just like, made it about himself and just 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 not a great person, um, really bad for the game. But I guess my my gripe is that he's got a two-game suspension. He'll come back. He'll do this again sometime down the track. There's there's numerous players that have put complaints in about him. And it, it's just, I don't know how you feel about it, pro. I'm all, I'm all about banter and back and forth. But when it's an actual league official that's, that's hired by a club or a league that's actually part of the family. of of employees and players and coaches doing that kind of stuff. It's just really, really bad taste.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, in in this day and age, you know, if it's even close, it's not going to be good. And you you just shouldn't really put yourself in that situation. Like you said, you're not – he's not like a courtside fan even though he acts like one, he's not, he's employed by a team, by the league, whatever, whatever he's doing, you know, you can't put yourself in that situation. You can't put the league and the team. And, you know, when you're saying things like that, is it, is it sterling? Like, no, but it's, it's still like in this climate, you can't even come close to anything. Just like, it, you know, you got to think before you talk and speak. And it's an embarrassing thing. It's, you know, you know, for the kid, I've, I've, I've been around the kid. The kids a great kid. When I used to go to China with Nike, he was when he was a young kid, you know. you just don't wanna do that to anybody. You don't want to put, put anyone in that situation. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for the kid and embarrassing for the the league and having a you know, having an employee that, that sorta of has had countless run ins of people, it's just you know, it's a fucking joke. You just gotta you gotta you gotta lay off of it.
0: Yeah, and I think he, he gets caught up in the motion of the game and thinks he's a part of the team. I mean this guy in game so United beat us by game two in, in those fi- in that final series a couple of years ago and then we had game three on our floor which was a great bounce back for us losing by 40 50 came back and punched him back in game three and knocked him out of the finals you know for instance in pregame, he walked through our, our team warm-ups. Like he's, you know, he's an he's an employee of theirs. there's like just just doing shit like that constantly trying to trying to cause cause issues and my whole thing is like it's time to move on from courtside gestures I know I think Perth have one as well it's just I think it's so 1990s 2000 the product is on the floor you have an announcer like most NBA arenas European arenas you have all that but to have a guy just blatantly yelling all kinds of nonsense on a microphone to me is just very unprofessional and I'll I mean we'll be talking about this again in the future I reckon because this guy's definitely not going to not going to ease up I think he just gets white line fever like he's a player and and comes out and says stupid shit but uh hopefully the NBL and Melbourne United come to their senses and and move him on and put him into retirement pro so we'll see how that goes all right stats useful or useless most consecutive games with a three-pointer made who do you think number one would be Pretty easy guess, Steph Curry. Steph Curry, one hundred and fifty-two. I'm not sure if you're looking at the list pro, but who do you think number two would be?
1: Oh man, I, I saw I saw the list. It, it it was sort of an obscure player, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think it's a someone you'd never a household
0: guess. Household name, someone you'd never guess. Yeah,
1: like Lou Dort. Lou, that's right, Lou Dort. Lou Dort, yes, 40. yeah,
0: forty. <laughs> it's not close, but remember, Lou Dort was a player that was uh, was. Two playoffs ago where they mucked him. Who was that first when Chris Paul was there? They were basically standing in the paint on Lou Dort. Do you remember that? And they will just letting him, and he was hoisting up threes like crazy. He was going like one for eight, like oh for 11. So kids, there you go. He was a guy that other teams scouted to dare to shoot him to threes. He's now made one in 40 straight games. And has gotten better and better. I'm a big fan of his. I think his improvement has been awesome. So, he's a, he's a, he's a fun player to watch. But uh, useful or useless, that's that, bro.
1: It's useful for sure. It's useful for sure. I remember when Danny Age actually, Danny Age had the record or, or in the record. I think he hit it in like 60 straight games or something like that uh, back when he was playing. But no, that, that stuff's useful. I mean, it's, it's, it's it's That's consistency to, add, to hit a three-pointer in consecutive games like that. 60 or 150 plus. I mean... It's pretty uh, pretty remarkable stuff, man. It is. It is. And uh,
0: yeah, I, th- I think it's useful just based on, based on Lou Dort's improvement. So I'll uh, take that in the useful box. All right. Talking about our NBA all-time three-point leaders. I'm going to go to NBL Pro. Who do you think number one would be in the NBL? Oh, Andrew Gaze. Andrew Gaze. Now, he has 1,826 Made three pointers. Number two, Shane Heal, 1602. John Riley really is in third at 1323. Of the current active players pro, Chris Gold Golding, mm-hmm. 862 makes. <laughs> On current averages, Chris Golding would need another 14 seasons to catch Andrew Gaze. That's pretty, it's pretty amazing. But there is a caveat in this pro games back in the day were 48 minutes instead of 40. So, you got an extra eight minutes to hoist some up and Gaze definitely probably got another 10 up in that eight minutes. Oh, without question. Mm-hmm. And they there was a few seasons back in the day where they played a little bit more games instead of um, the 32 we play now, they played maybe 38 or 40 or random numbers. So, there is a bit of an anomaly there, but it's still, even with that, Chris is almost a 1,000 away from Andrew Gaze and he's, he's, he's close to retirement. So, it just tells you how how dominant Andrew Gaze was with the shooting, albeit played for his father and he played... Somehow man managed to play fifty-two minutes in a forty-eight game, <laughs> forty-eight minute game because <laughs> he just never gets subbed out. But uh, useful or useless on that one, bro? Oh,
1: that's useful. That's that's definitely useful. I mean, it just goes to show how fucking. Even though he had extra minutes, but still, I mean, that's that's amazing though. The the, the three-point numbers that he put up in the in his career. Yeah. I know I gave him a lot of shit on the on the pod, but that was pretty impressive. No doubt. Yeah, he definitely
0: definitely got him up and made made a lot of them. He was you know he was a pretty big shooter back in the day, six had size, so he definitely was um was not the norm back then. All right, Stephen Adams won 13 straight opening jump balls. Pro, useful or useless? Ah, uh, stat muse, baby. Pretty well, useless, so actually. You know how they have that stat? but yeah. Well, I don't know where it is all time because it probably hasn't <laughs> hasn't been tracked. But he-
1: I want to know the asshole that ha- that's getting paid twelve fifty an hour that has to track fucking who wins jump balls every night. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, just an interesting one I saw him saw him post it was a funny one yeah game.
1: sometimes with jump balls I mean no one really even gives a fuck about it you know like they just jump, hoist it up yeah, yeah. so it, but it's pretty interesting though I mean it's a funny one it's a pretty interesting record It's a funny for sure when
0: he lost his 14th and they were like oh there goes that one and we'll start counting again alright Markeith Morris pro has missed 17 oh, straight boy. games since the Jokic altercation useful or useless because <sighs> apparently he got hurt from that from that uh that Jokic pushback, something with his back or neck or something. But seventeen straight games since that, perfectly healthy Oof. when he pushed Jokic to the try to try to push Jokic to the floor. Pretty interesting.
1: I guess it's interesting. I guess it's useful. The fucking guy's hurt, so you know. I don't know. It Sucks to get hurt, but again, like you, you, it wasn't like Jokic put him in that situation to start with. I mean, exactly. It sucks what happened, but it wasn't like that was definitely going to happen if he didn't. You know, if he didn't hit the guy, so useful for sure. Because you know, you don't never want to see a guy hurt, and obviously that that you know, unless he's trying to milk you know milk milk that whole thing out, which I don't think he is. But you know, it's a pretty interesting. Interesting
0: stat. Is that stat news or is that just your own? I just saw that. I think it was the ESPN stats and info. I just saw it. Yeah, he just because yeah, I was just like, shit, he's, he actually is still out. I haven't seen him play. And, and maybe if he didn't do the cheap shot in the first place, we wouldn't even be talking about it. So No doubt. Pretty interesting one because it's cost him, cost him a lot of games. All right, the Knicks are 2-7 and seven with no Kemba. And they are 10 and 10. They just lost. So, they're 10 and 9. 10 and 10. They just lost a, um, a close game to Boston. 10 and 10 with Kemba. Mm-hmm. Useful or useless, pro
1: That's uh, always useful. That's always useful, you know, to see where, where a guy is when you have him versus don't have him. I know there's a lot of, you know, he's been out of the rotation for a while. But, you know, goes to say, the, the goes to show you the guy is pretty valuable to your team. He's not a perfect player. Never been a huge Kemba Walker fan. I always thought he was like a Ben Gordon type. You know, could come off the bench, score a lot of points, but he's not really a playmaker, not really a defender, but he could really score. But he's useful for that team. He could he could find find ways to score in bunches. He could help your team. It's just you know how it is, folks, guys. uh guys point out, you know, they point out the bad things a player can't do instead of saying, you know what? We know what he can't do. That's fine. This is what he could do. He could help us. And he's always been a, a gamer that could score. So, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I think it's useful. Yeah, yeah. I think
0: it is too. I think sometimes you don't know what you've got till it's gone, right? And um, I think them sitting in, they, they've realized, they are putting back in the lineup. Boston's playing a little bit better. I mean, they, they didn't have a great half against Golden State the other night, but they came back and made a game of it. You know, the Knicks just lost to Boston. So, look, I mean, I think, I don't think he's the reason why they were losing. Um, that's, that's clear. So, do you need to play Claim forty, probably not. But uh, I like the fact that that Dibbs has given him a second chance, second lease on life. Seems like he's a good good dude in that locker room. Didn't cause too much problems around it, and uh, yeah, he's he's come back with a vengeance. So that's always good. He had a good game today too. I think he had something, he had twenty something tonight. So that was good. Fact or fake news? What do you got?
1: All right, Bogues. Fact or fake news? J. B. Bickerstaff's the coach of the year at this point. Yeah, I think this so- point.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think so. For, for where they were picked, uh, the other one would be Memphis. Um, but Memphis were picked as a playoff team. Cleveland, for a lot of people, weren't. Even me, I don't think I had them up there. So I mean, they are they've by far and beyond overachieved, and it doesn't look like it's a fluke. Like it doesn't look like it's Washington where they like came out of the gates well and, and and whatever. Like it's really good to see a small market with a development plan whilst trying to win. And you know, they're they're arguably. You know they got a chance to, to maybe get to a second third round as well. So they're they're playing really good team ball, and I think as, at this point I would give it to him. Fact.
1: Yeah, I, I was I would say fact too. I mean he and he's changing the game a little bit. You know, not changing the game because it's not really being changing, but he's changing it the way he he wants to Three play. Seven it. footers playing bigs. Mm. So yeah, he's playing the game big, and and I didn't give him any chance to win this year. You know, I love Jared Allen, but I, I just didn't think they could put it around, you know put it together. They had those two gods and you know Sexton and Gollin and. And one got hurt, so you think, ah, they're gonna go in the tank after one got hurt, and they're still doing it, and they're still they're still hanging out, you know, they're still sort of getting things done.
0: Eighteen and twelve, they're in fourth place, tied for fourth. Yeah. With the Miami Heat, and they're basically three and a half games from first place. So I anticipate Brooklyn falling out of that first spot the next couple of games. Chicago's still in second, and then Milwaukee in third. So they've, they've got every chance to finish with some home court advantage too, which is which is very, very important. So um, great to see them back.
1: Hey, Bogues, with all the COVID stuff. We will see a uh, – fact effect news, we will see a all non-NBA starting five for at least one game by the end of the season. Basically, all call-ups because of uh, because of COVID will start an NBA game this season by the end of the year.
0: So, call-ups or is it free, like, like 15, 15, 16, 17, 18 guys plus call-ups, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, like, like – Not your top 13, not your top 13. no. Two ways and down. How about that? Two ways and down. So your two ways will start and then the fact. guys that you had to pull out of do the- I think fact. Like it's
0: it's almost yeah. there. Like Brooklyn's, yeah. God forbid, Patty and one other guy, Blake get it, then, you know, you're, you're- – that's Brooklyn right now. So, in fact, I think it's going to happen, especially with how long it takes. You know, some guys, are positives, they continue to test positive 13, 14, 15 days. Some guys, it's four or five days, which is the other thing that's weird. Like, some of some guys have come back really quick. Like, LeBron was, what, three days and then got to – I don't know how many positives you need. Is it five or something like that? But I understood that, you know, you can be – early on in this, they were saying that – um you know you could still it was always 14 days no matter what as soon as you tested positive you had 14 days from that test date whereas I guess the NBA's kind of changed it or they found false positives along the way but yeah I think um fact it's it's gonna happen
1: yeah I say I say it's gonna happen as well uh for sure I just think just you know if you got to get in the tank for 10 days and most of these players do not all of them but most of them do and it just and people getting they're testing positive and getting in a protocol at an alarming rate so um unless something happens I could see that happen for but sure fact
0: of- Fake news off that, bro. If that happens, does the arena get (laughs) higher than a 50% capacity?
1: (laughs) Oh, let's be honest. There's been a couple of teams like that without having COVID (laughs) and and they don't even reach it. Yeah. Um, I would say that they don't. I'd say they wouldn't go. Yeah, I wouldn't. Here's a fact in fake news, Bogues. Will the season stop? Will there be a pause in the season? That's the million-dollar question.
0: Will there be a pause in the season? I think if this continues on for more than – like you can only do this for some. Like let's say this this next layer of guys gets put in the protocol within three or four days of calling them up. Then what do you do? So I think there might need to be a, a reset, stop, pause. I know the owners are against it. How would it work? This that. But I think they might need to. They might need to hit pause for two weeks. Formulate a backup plan to a hub potentially. But I, I think fact. I think there's going to have to be some sort of pause. I hope they don't because then. Like I said, I think governments will see that and think, "Oh, maybe we can do a, a lockdown for the whole city for two weeks, just like the NBA." So I hope they don't, but I, I think it's with, with the way things are going, I think it, it's it's going
1: to happen. Bogues, it's just like unless you change how you deal with COVID, you know. And, and look, I'm not saying I'm, I'm for or against it, but I'm just saying if unless you unless you say okay. I don't think they'll ever do that because you just put the staff, forget about the fans, you put the staffs on teams in Homs way because you got to travel and be around these guys regardless if you have masks on and stuff like that. But unless they change the way they, they like, they deal with it and say, let them play with it and, you know, get rid of courtside seating and, and all that and interaction with fans, because now you're going to be seeing D league teams. Like I was saying today, the last couple of days, I was like, all right. Well, probably what they should do is they should have a draft of D-League players, you know, players that are eligible or eligible that you could buy out from overseas and have a draft where everybody drafts like eight guys from the D-League and other any other pool of players that are, that are players that are available. But like and just to have them like just in case you need to call them up. And you'll have, so you know who you're going to have already. Like, you know that, all right, this guy's playing for, you know, this guy's playing for, I don't know, LA's D-League team or this guy's playing for Boston's D-League team, but he's going to be for us in Miami if we need to call a guy up. The problem is, do you really want to go through um, a a couple of weeks throughout the year where a majority of players, close to half of your players are D-League call-ups? This ain't like baseball where, like baseball, you've got, you know, you've got like five levels of minor leagues probably one you know probably your your top d, your top minor league team is probably half pro like half major league baseball players that will play either for your team or another team and have pretty good careers the d leagues not like that you don't have a bunch of guys that are great and M- there's going to be good nba players you only have a certain amount of players so now you're going to be really like when if guys keep on testing and testing and testing positive and you got to keep going through different sta- like layers of players it's really going to be, it's not going to be good for the eyes. So uh, yeah, I think they're going to either have to pause or they're going to have to do something because unless you're okay with it, unless you're going to go, you know what? Like we got our sponsorship money. We got our TV money. We've got our ticket sales money. Like we're just going to deal with it and roll with it and not stop. Or we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to change the way we deal with people who test positive for it. Which I don't think they're going to do, just because of you know all the bad press you will get. Yeah, public. So coverage. I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I think it happens. I think it's just a matter of when it's, it's, it's well. Something's going to happen. Something's going to happen along the way. Um. So yeah, we'll watch that space to finish this off. I just wanted to talk about go back to while I'm telling my spiel, think about some stories of being down and out and coming back that you've experienced, and I think they're the. Yeah, the testament to my best and biggest wins have been when we were counted down and out. And I've got I've got three examples here. One is NBA, the year we went to the finals, and unfortunately the three-one year where we were up three one and we lost. We actually did that to OKC in the Western Conference Finals. They were up three one. And they had, they had us covered. Katie was balling. Russ had a great series. They had great rotations. Abaka was, was, was prominent in that series. Adams was physical. Um, we're down 3-1. And one game five comfortably at home. We went back for game six and, and, and just one of those games where they were they were up 8 to 10 the whole game. We never felt like we were really in it and I remember turning behind our bench with about 2 minutes left We're were down 9 I think or 8 and the, the fans are waving at us like enjoy your flight home and then Clay just goes bang, 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 bang and we win the game and turn around and there's, all those fans were gone. <laughs> they, they just ran out of the building. That was one because we were completely down and out. The other NBA one for me was this last stint that I had with um, with the Golden State Warriors. So Kevin Durant goes down and gets game I don't know what game it was in that Houston series but Houston was obviously you know was notable that they were built to beat us and be the the warrior killer and they were pretty well built to do that but I remember we were going back to Houston I believe and I think it was for was it game six you know they anticipated winning that and then and then going back to Golden State for game seven and we were shorthanded had a few injuries but KD being out and a few other guys banged up and um yeah we end up we end up beating them in Game Six, really short-handed, and that was the most emotional win I've seen. Just because we weren't supposed to win, everyone was like, "Houston's going to win this, and it's going to go back to Golden State, and then it's going to be a Game Seven, nerve-wracking game. Who knows who wins it from there? Probably Houston were favourites, and we, um, yeah, we won that. I remember just the celebrations afterwards were huge, and it was just a really emotional, emotional moment, emotional game, and, and it was that team that was always built to beat us. And then the last one was the one I mentioned was Game Two of the semifinals in two thousand and was that nineteen twenty? And yeah, again, we win Game One. We steal game one. Sydney go back to Melbourne and they just pummel us from the get go. They're up. They're up 20. They're up 30. You've got that courtside circus gesture running around, abusing, you know, trying to get the crowd to continue to, you know, kind of abuse us and laugh at us. And are you guys down? High? And it was 20, 30, 40, 50. I think it got, they got it to 50 odd points at one point or 60 odd points. And then we cut it back to 40. And I remember um, after that game on the bench already with two or three minutes left, we were all like, we're fine. Hey, like, it is what it is. Nothing went right today. We, we chalk it up. We shake their hands, look in the eyes and say, you kicked the shit out of us. But guess what? You got to come back to Sydney for game three. And most teams, you can see which way they're going to go. And, and I just felt like we bonded. We came closer together through that game then going opposite directions of like, well, we lost because of this or you should have done this or the coach's rotations or whatever. No one was even thinking that. And we went to coach with a few things. I remember the one adjustment was getting myself out of the pick and roll and getting me down playing out of the dunker a little bit more in the high post um, rather than high pick and rolls and then they blitz. And then they were doing a good job of, of really hard blitzing off me and a few other guys. So, then we got Jay Sean Tate and a few other, you know, uh, about four men, um, cooks to, to set it and slip out early. And then it was four on three in that next game with me in the dunker as a serious lob threat. So when I wasn't in the dunker, we didn't really have that lob threat. We had, you know, cooks was streaky three point wise that year, didn't shoot it that well. So you know, we've let him on the three and we could hit him in that role. Like short roll. I catch it, I throw it to him and he wasn't confident shooting it at that point. So we made that small adjustment and we were already thinking about adjustments after that game. What can we do? What can we fix? And it was just amazing to see how we we regrouped, came back to Sydney and beat them, you know, end up beating them um, we felt like we had control the whole game. It was six, seven, eight, nine, ten points the whole game. They could never claw it back for the whole duration of the forty minutes. And then we got to look them in the eyes after they, they they punched us by fifty and shake their hands and send them out of the final. So those those are three teams that I was a part of that were just down and out moments that we had no business coming back and winning, and we did. So just wanted to. to have a little story time around that. What Have you got any of those pro time in Dallas or anywhere else where you just had a game or a playoff series where, you know, you had no business winning?
1: No, but I get one story that, you know, the Celtics were down and out when I was working for them. I decided I had to make a decision to stay with the Mav, uh, stay with the Celtics or go work for Tim Grover. I uh, decided to go, w- you know, work for Tim Grover and a year later, they won a championship. So, <laughs> you welcome, Boston. <laughs> so, there you go. That's fair enough. Yeah, that's it. That's what I got.
0: You're The cancer. The cancer.
1: Absolutely. So there you go. That Not as, not as uh story wasn't as long and grueling yeah. as far as like having a battle through, but I, uh, I helped Boston win an, an NBA championship. So you're welcome.
0: So I take it you didn't, you didn't come back from any big games in big, big deficits in those. <laughs>
1: I don't think so. Like, I don't remember. No, no, no. I'm sure That's there crazy. was like one or two, but they were they were about to face about 10 years of mediocrity and they ended up trading for Luka Doncic and they got that. So, I guess you could count that in there. But no, I don't re- really remember. I remember giving up some leads. Like, I remember being up like 20 or so at halftime a few times and losing. But I don't really remember, you know, huge like comebacks. We only played in one playoff series when I was there. I mean, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I, I take that back. We played in three. But... um No, I I never remember some big comeback that we had. It was just sort of like, you know, business as usual. But yeah, I guess that Celtic story is the closest thing that I got.
0: We'll take it. All right, that's episode 47. Thanks for joining us again. We'll leave you this week with some questions from our Q&A on the call-in app. Remember, if you want to download that call-in app, for Apple, it's on web browser. Android should be live. If it's not, it'll be very, very soon. Um, you can jump on and actually live in real time. We do it generally every Sunday, Australian time around uh, midday and Dallas time, central time in the US around seven o'clock. You can jump on, ask us any questions. We have we have some avid followers that always join every week so we can get more people joining that. And you get your voice on Rogue Bogues podcast. What could be better? So thanks for joining us at Rogue Bogues on all your social media. At Hoop Consultants is pro on Instagram and Twitter. And we will catch you next week. Adios. Welcome to episode forty-seven of Rogue Bogues basketball series Q and A. We have our first cab off the rank, Chris.
2: G'day guys. Um, first saying uh, Merry Christmas. Um, for you Christmas. Um so I hope you both have a good one and been a good Appreciate year it. So, Merry so far. Christmas. Cheers, man. So just probably a couple of questions for you. Um Probably the first one, and this and both questions relate to both of you in terms of what you both think. Um, oh, wow. In terms of, you know, when, I suppose, how does it make you feel with particularly players in the NBA or just maybe professional sports in general, you can sort of factor in soccer, AFL, whatever you like, when they sort of talk about, you know, how how their upbringing was and how they've come from tough backgrounds and everything and how hard they've had to work. Do you almost feel like when they get to a professional level that they, they almost turn a blind eye to what they've sort of come up, if that makes sense. Like, you know, it's almost like when they get to professional sports, then they start talking about, you know, oh, I'm not going to play because I don't like playing for so-and-so person or I don't want to play because, you know, I don't feel right. Like, I suppose, how does that make you feel when they talk about how what they've come from and how hard they work. is almost like they get to a professional level. It's almost like they just tone down a little bit. I know it's probably a very detailed question, but um, just wanted to know your thoughts on that. And just a second question, um, just being a big AFL fan myself, um, what's AFL like? How much coverage does it get in the States? Um, and do, I suppose, do people really understand it? Um, and did you, from your point of you view, ever try to get players involved? AFL
0: yeah, no, is an easy one. To answer. I'll answer that first. It, look, it doesn't really have traction in the US. Um, they used to have a deal with ESPN where Pro could probably talk about this a little more. I know they used to have games on late at night, many, many years ago, like a 10, 11, 12 o'clock time slot, I believe Pro. Is that right? Did you ever catch any of those games many years ago?
1: Yeah. I mean, I never really watched them, but you, you're flicking through. You definitely see some you know, when, when you go through, but nah, there's really not much coverage. You know what? Like When I was you know, when I would go to Boston, we'd always go to the North End, the Italian section of town. The real Italian, like, cafes and stuff, they would have it on because they like soccer and all that stuff. So they would have some of that on, but on my closed-circuit TV or whatever. But, uh yeah, there's really not yeah, a lot here.
0: there's not much now. I know they used to have it on ESPN um, real late. They'd show, like, a kind of a game of the week or whatever, and everyone used to mainly watch it when they were either – Coming home drunk or <laughs> I had no idea what the you know you're, you know what you always hear about <laughs> goal umpires what are they doing why are they waving flags so no not really no yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it ever will man like I think the AFL yeah, um, yeah. cronies down there that think that they're going to go into they try to go into China like a couple of years ago like it's just it's an Australian game the games like our government there's a new rule yeah. every other day people that. Even come to understand it. <laughs> yeah, true. And can't because there's all these new interpretations. It's a hard game to follow. It's, it's, um, I just don't think it, it's similar to NFL in a way. I mean, NFL's got some traction overseas just because we like following American sports, but basically the whole of Europe couldn't give a shit about yeah. it. The whole of Asia couldn't give a shit about it. So it's our sport, I think, as big as it gets is, is yeah, in Australia. Fair. So that's as far as that goes. I used to have to watch it on, um, I think it was be in sports or something back 10, 15 years ago. I'd have to go and watch it through them. And then the last yeah. probably five years of my career, the AFL, finally, the geniuses decided to put an app out that you could access from overseas. So that made things easier. And then your the other question is a long winded one. Look, I mean, I wouldn't say it's tough because a lot of guys do come from tough uh, beginnings. Um, I think I did. Through phases, it wasn't as, as as tough as some other guys, but I definitely had had my moments as a child, um, good and bad. And I think it, um, yeah, it just it's just one of those things. I think once once guys get the love of the games there when you're younger, if th- this makes sense, and you have all the battles to get to that level, and. I thought as a kid, shit, once you get to the pros, like all the politics is gone. You, th- you think like, hey man, like it's just all about basketball. It's probably even worse um, once you get to the pros because there's so much more involved mm-hmm. with money and um, stats and coaches and GMs. So, I think it goes a bit both ways. I think guys get caught in that and then get burnt. I know that was my kind of living was I got burnt a few times and it made me a little bit bitter to the business of basketball and then I had a bit of resentment towards that. But yeah, on the other side, there is mm-hmm. guys that get to that, that stage and, and take it for granted and I'm, I've made it now and um, no one can tell me shit so it is a balance but I think every everyone's circumstance is different so that's the problem it, it, it's all it's all you know they might come to a realisation that everyone in their high school life and everyone in their AAU life was just schmoozing him because of who they were and the opportunity they had were they really my friends were they really good family members did they really have my back was it all just because I was going to be a, a money making machine at one point and, and then that realisation you know tarnishes a lot of guys mentally and the way they they handle things so sure. there, there's a mixed mixed bag pro I don't know I don't know what your thoughts are around it
2: for me personally I think <laughs> I think probably the thing that probably annoys me the most I mean there's probably more just from only because it's more just because um you know when they sort of say oh I mean when you're growing up obviously you're playing junior sports and things like that whether it's basketball footy whatever You know, you might, I think for me, it's probably the coach that's probably the biggest thing where it's where, you know, you might not necessarily like your coach, but at the same time, it's like, well, I've got to play for him because they're the coach. When it's almost like when they get to that level, it's like, well, I don't, it's almost like they try to they think that they're bigger than them. And that's just probably, that's the one that probably annoys me the most, I think, is when they say, well, I'm not going to play for them because I don't like the coach. Whereas in in my view, they're the ones that call the shots. Probably got.
1: I think you can't really generalize that everybody loses the fire, you know, for that, like the fire for being that hardworking and sort of abandoning where, where their upbringing and how they was brought up in the game. I think it's easy to get seduced by the business of basketball and turning into that. And, you know, when you get into a team and you're a you know, hard-nosed guy and you, you worked all this way to get to get there, and then you get in and you're, you maybe you have a locker room filled with those guys and you hang out with them and you talk to them and you've seen how those are your vets and those are the guys that are sort of, they're like your NBA parents and, you know, that's all you see every day. And then it's easy to get sucked in. I've seen players do that. They've get sucked into the business of basketball. And then, you know, uh, maybe by year one, year two, they'd battle through a hard hamstring or, a, or a, a sore ankle or, you know, working out every day. And then like year five, you know, they're like, eh, you know, they sort of get sucked in. Then there's the players that never lose it. Now, very few of those don't get me wrong, but, I think it's really, it's I mean, if you got to put them yourself in their shoes too. Like, imagine you are growing up with almost nothing, and you know, and and you had to work your way to get it, and then you get all this money, and everything comes a little more easy. I think it's a little, it's pretty easy as a human being to sort of lose that edge that sort of got you there in the first place because of a the money's there and everything's in front of you. Everybody starts telling you how great you are, you know, uh, you know. You didn't really get hit on in college. Now you're getting hit on by ten groupies, and you know every road trip. You, you know everybody's telling you how great you are. You know you've got suddenly you had no friends in college. Now you get forty people that want to hang out with you at night. You know it's like it's easy to sort of get to lose your edge a little bit. There's no doubt about it. I wouldn't say they all do, but I, I think a, a good percentage. Do yeah, and for it's, sure. a, it's
0: a balance, and then money comes into play, then family, then there's a lot of distractions. So some do it the right way, some don't. But you, you can't always judge based on that but to your point um, just to finish that off Chris yeah coaching is a, di- a different story you look for the most part you do have to try to make it work um, you do have to try to play for a coach that you hate you know I had Rick Majerus in college I didn't, I he's not on my Christmas card list to this day I mean rest in peace but you know it, it's, it's it's one of those things I had to try to figure it out as hard as some days were and look you have blobs every now and then but I agree with you Chris I think um, the players that just blatantly come out and say I don't want to play for this guy well how about you give it a try first before you, before you make those comments and I think that's a problem and, and unfortunately the NBA and GMs around the league have entertained players when they have those, those kind of um, blow-ups and then fire the coach. So then it becomes normal. It's like, okay, I'm the star player. Five other star players on five other teams got their coach fired. Why can't I? And, and then it creates a kind of snowball effect. But uh, thanks for that one, Chris. We'll move on to the next one. Ashley, you are
3: up. Hey, mate. Sorry. First time caller, long time listener. Um, re- really, really love the podcast, mate. Grew up, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit older than you, like about 45. I grew up in, went to St. John's College in Dandenong, you know, lived in Dever Hills, lived in those southern suburbs. Oh, nice. Awesome. I'm local. Um, Oh, mate, it's just like listening to that journey stuff. I just loved it, mate, because it followed your career the whole time. And it was just weird. It was so weird. Like you talk about catching the bus for your bus passes. That was my that was my life growing up as well. I just wanted to talk a little bit about your, and I guess a little bit from Pro as well, like the differences between the journeys and uh, from Australian juniors to like American juniors into the like the elite sort of systems. Like your journey really... Until you sort of hit that top age 18s, you weren't really in the ITC, the you know, I mean, all that sort of pathway. Um, and then listening to Lund, uh, the Jock Landau podcast the other day, which I absolutely loved as well because I love the fact that pros meeting him for dinner at the buffet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that just made my heart sing. But, um, it was a true just food, the, you dick, <laughs> uh, it was just, but uh, just the uh just the different pathways. Like, I guess your pathway was a non-traditional Australian pathway, which I don't know if you'd agree with that or not. um, Versus all the kids in the ITC programs and things like that. Now you look at some of the kids, the Aussie kids like Josh Green, they sort of went through more of an American, you know, everyone's favorite Philadelphia 76 and yep. Ben Simmons. You know, they went through an, the non-traditional Aussie pathway into America. And what do you sort of think about that? And I'm so glad your Kings got a win last night as well.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. It was a big win. We needed it. Yeah, I think mine was non-traditional for sure. Um, and I think probably going back to the last question we had is, I, I think that's better. I think going the traditional route where you're, where you're the man in each phase of your career, you're generally not going to become a pro like that. Ever rarely. Like there's there's the God stands like LeBron James and one in a millions. But um, even Jordan had that that pushback in his in his high school career, right? So I think you need. I'd much rather take that guy that had to kind of bounce around and fight for his spot and had a bit of turmoil and dealt with adversity than someone who just went through the system and you know not taking anything away from system guys, but system guys generally are much more robotic too because. They're always, they're always in that same kind of ITC you know, be a system where I, I think you got to go, like I played for a team, if, you know, obviously you've listened to the, my journey, but with Sandringham, that was, yeah. you know, the outcasts, like we were a group of kind of labeled as delinquents that had a boombox in warmups on courts and shit. And people were like these, we don't want these kids around our kids. They're kind of, you know, they're the bad kids of, of, of the bunch. And, and um, that was great for me. I loved it. I embraced that shit and had fun with it. And we used to, we used to use it to our advantage in games. We weren't the most talented team, but we would fight if we had to. And I think that, I think. I would, for my kids, I would love them to have that similar journey than just a regular, you know, watered down regular journey of, of basketball Australia. So I think, I think it's a it's a balance, and this it just goes to show that I was probably one of the first guys to to to, to make it big time without. Without going the normal route and doing all the political box ticks that you're supposed to do in junior sports, to then teenage sports, to then young man sports, I, I did none of it. I did it all my way and ended up being the number one pick. So I think it just gave kids a, a vision into hey, you can you can do it your own way if you put the work in. You don't need to you don't need to be the best kid under 12s, under 14s. And it's probably the same in the US with AAU and high school. We see a lot of NBA players that come on the scene very late in their high school and very you know early in college. And it's like where do these kids come from? Well, they're always there. But some of them just weren't in those popular. popular pathways with those big-time AAU teams, right, bro?
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing about the thing about the United States is there's just so many teams. There's so many teams. Like, there's probably – like, just to put it in perspective, like, I started in AAU coaching when I was 18 years old. And probably in the state – of I, I grew up in Boston, state of Massachusetts. It's not a very big state. Uh, it, it, you know, and there was probably, like, 40 teams maybe – like, four, you know, 40 teams in each age group, maybe, across the state. Right now, there's probably about close to 800, 900. Like, just in Massachusetts. There are just teams everywhere and, and events everywhere. So, like, there's the exposure these guys get in what, the, the now as far as, like, social media, AU, camp stuff. You know, like, just, it, it's... Yeah, it, it's pretty. It's 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 hard to come out of nowhere like they came now, like they came 15 years ago, where a player could come out under under, under the radar, and no one really heard of them. Now, because of all the scouting services and all the all the social media that covers these kids since they're like 12 years old, they, you know they don't really sneak up on you. You know, maybe in Europe, like in Europe, there's really or in international, there's really not as many teams. You know, you play on club teams and things, but there's there's like I mean, I know they have different age groups and and levels, but like in the United States, it's just it's crazy as as far as the amount of teams. Now, more kids, don't get me wrong, but, um, you know, they they get put on a pedestal pretty quickly. You know, it used to be sometimes you could you can go into like they're 17, 18 before you heard of a kid, before the Internet and the social media really took over. Now you hear about these kids since they're 12, 13 years old. I mean, it's almost impossible. So it's a little bit different. I think the exposure that international kids get, you know, as far as the grand scheme of things, isn't as much as, you know, the United States because of, again, you've got all these like circuits of events and all these tournaments and all these leagues that you don't really get in the international game. So, you know, these kids are sort of out there so early in their career. Yeah, and no, you know?
0: no, no. I think it just goes to show that no no one way is the right way. You can put the work in regardless of what system you're in. I've seen it on both sides. I've seen kids that aren't aren't in the pathway don't make it and that, that are in the pathway don't make it. it. It doesn't matter. Put the time and effort in. It'll work out. Thanks for that, Ash, and keep sharing our podcast. We appreciate it. We'll go to the next one, JF, a uh, regular caller. Welcome back. You might you might get our VIP medallion along with uh, Chris, I reckon. Uh, excellent. Uh,
4: yeah, because – Quick question for pro. Oh, wow. uh, so who wrote it? It was Tim McMahon wrote a piece with Dem- Dennis Smith jr. Calling Rick Carlisle an asshole pretty much. And then we had the athletic with a piece about Luca, you know, thinking Rick was an asshole, uh, Haralabob, et cetera. So when are we going to get the, you know, hoops, com you know, thoughts on why and how big of an asshole Rick Carlisle. Is? <laughs>
1: good luck, bro. Well, that's a, yeah, good luck on that one. Look, you know, I hate the guy. And the guy po-
4: hates me. It's and a popular guy, clickbait.
1: Yeah. It's and the guy hates me. And look, I'll go into pieces and parts. There are some things that you just don't want to get out there. It's just not worth a headache. But there are some things that I will share in the podcast in the in the coming months as far as like some of the stories and some of the things that I had to deal with. Now I wouldn't put I won't put anybody out there. I'm not going to put Dennis Smith out there. I'm not going to put, you know, Salah out there. You know, as far as like answering for those guys, because I don't I don't do that. That's you know, there's some things I share behind closed doors with the Mavericks, like draft stuff and some funny stories. But I, I think there is a certain line you don't want to cross. But the guy was, you know, the guy was all right with me until a certain point and then he turned into a complete dick with me and no. like like sabotaging dick kind of shit like and bully shit with me. And uh, cause I could answer that because it, w- it happened to me. I'm not going to tell you what happened with other players and stuff. And I didn't know the reason. Like I came because the player development was terrible. I- I'm not a savior. I'm not a fucking Superman, but I came because I was good at a certain thing. I'm not good at nutrition, obviously. I'm not good at X's and O's, but I can get players better. You know, I'm not a magician on the court, but I have a certain way with players how to communicate and how to hold them accountable and how to tell them the truth. And he didn't like that because I wouldn't I wouldn't rubber stamp and co-sign everything he would say. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's used to having on his staff. And I would I wouldn't do it. And then him and I had some, you know, had some words back and forth. And then there was an event which I, I, I'm not going to share yet that happened that totally changed my view of him. It's different between being like an 80s movie bully and someone who does something like that that totally submarines you and with for no fucking reason. And look, you know, player coaches are driven right? The, the head coaches, most of them are dicks. You know, you celebrate them because no one really knows. When you're a fan, you just think, all oh, these guys are oh, wow, lot are dedicated. They're great guys. And all this, like, office brutality, like, what do they call it? Um, unsafe work environment. You never hear about it with teams that win, but they do have them. They only get these guys getting fired when they don't win, or they get a player that, you know, that's pow- more powerful than they are. And that's what it is. And I don't mind getting yelled at. I don't mind somebody bullying me a little bit. As long as they don't fuck with you and, and fuck with you, like, and fuck with your livelihood. And that's what he did. And all I did was serve that place. And I did a good job. And I, I love the people, so, some of the people that I worked with. But he crossed the line with me. I'm not going to say what he did to other people. It's not my place. But with me, he crossed the fucking line. And ask folks, like you can, you, I can make fun of myself. People can make fun of me. I don't mind getting, I'm not a pussy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fucking turn somebody in for yelling at you. If you mm-hmm. fuck up, you deserve to get yelled at. There are millions of dollars at stake. You're telling me that if you don't fuck up, you don't deserve to get yelled at. You got people, players, jobs at stake. You got coaches, jobs at stake. At stake. You got fucking GMs, jobs and livelihoods at stake. There's a lot of shit going on. And if you can't take it, don't be a pussy and turn somebody in. But when you cross a line and he did that with me, when you cross the line and then I I, because I deserve to get fired. It was after my fourth year and that event happened. And I said some vile shit about that motherfucker to the wrong people that it got back Mm -hmm. to him. And that's why I got fired. Because, again, I could take as much punishment as you want to give me. I'm good with that. As long as we're on the same playing field. Once you cross the line and you start doing some devious shit then I then you're dead to me and I don't give a fuck who knows it and that's what happened so you know look he's a good coach he's a driven to win if I'm in the NBA team to a certain extent I would hire him because he's totally dedicated he's not playing golf he's not fucking chasing pussy at night he's not doing any of that he's studying the fucking game and any edge he's going to get to win he's going to do but there's a certain way he operates that I'm not a fucking fan of
4: but that's just me well, I appreciate you sharing that, Mike, and I uh, look forward to kind of the tell-all uh, down the line here. Yeah, I'm gonna
1: get—I'll get hit with a fucking drone <laughs> way before that. So don't worry about it.
4: Thanks, Dave. Appreciate the question. Well, quick note, yeah. Andrew, just a quick question uh, on the COVID stuff. So it's a total situation right now in this NBA. Like even where I am in Canada, where it's like 90 percent vaccinated. Uh, you know, I went to pick pickup ball this week and only seven guys showed up. Uh, because two of them had COVID, and you know, two others were exposed. Anyway, so it's it's pretty it's looking pretty bad um, in North America. It's only going to get worse. Like talking to the players that you know, what what's their feel on that? Like, do they want to go through the protocols? They want
0: that they don't want to go through the protocols. But I guess some players, some players are more all in. You know, COVID can kill us at any any. Minute of the day, some players are in the middle, some players are like, let's get on with life. I guess it's just the frustration of. Uh, I saw Joel Embiid's comment saying, you know, the protocol and day to day is Bush League this season compared to what it was a couple of seasons ago. So everyone takes it differently. And that's the thing with this. It's so, it's so personal. It's, you know some some players that I've spoken to that have kids are more worried to bring it home to their families, some aren't some aren't buying all, all the hype, some are like hey I've had my double vax and my booster, what the fuck let's get on with it, so it's different to every person you talk to and that's what's unique about it I, I, I really, and by talk to I mean talk to away from the media and PR because players really can't, they can't, they're kind of toeing the line on what they can say because um, they don't want to get casted as someone that's all in pro vax or all in anti vax, um, straight away as we know you get labelled regardless so if you say something so watered down, like "Hey, I, I believe in vaccinations, but I don't believe in the mandates," anti-vax, you're crazy. You know what I mean? So, I think the players are pretty well read on it. I think it's just—it's probably just fatigue of the COVID fatigue of just like you know we're over this. We want to get back to our normal wires. We know NBA players are deviants at the best of times on the road. I, I anticipate that's a bit of a problem. Um, guys are getting out in the streets a little bit more than they, than they than they did the last couple of seasons. Probably family members are out and about more. We're in Christmas, so. I, I don't know. I've got it on the run sheet. I mean, I just saw the Magic versus the Nets game has 24 new players on it. I think is that right? I think 24 players on the new players on the roster uh, or that have been brought in. You know, it's just it's just crazy, and it's it's going to continue as soon as you know. There's a few more spikes for some, a few more teams, and then and then you basically it's it's NBA light slash G League right now, so. Um, I, I don't know what the what the fix is. Um, I saw Steve Kerr's comments too. He's talking about they went to Canada and that's a whole set of other rules going into Toronto to play them. So I don't know what the what the immediate fix is, but it's it's, it's not a great time. Um, and that, that is a league that reportedly is ninety nine percent vaccinated, double vaccinated with boosters. So if that's happening there, I mean the public that are watching this the politicians and whatnot will probably use that as like well if they're locking down and shutting down why can't we and uh, i don't think we're behind lockdowns to be honest with you as far as um Maybe the U.S. is in certain points, but uh, I'm just waiting for it here in Australia. I'm just waiting for that press conference from some politician to say, oh, we just need two weeks to stop the curve and everything will be okay. And and then um, I'm doing this podcast in 2023, just getting out of lockdown. So who knows, man? It's a long, long-winded long answer, but it's just it's just a shit show over time. But yeah, thanks for that one. We'll go on to our next one. Cupcakes, what's up, man?
5: What's up, dudes? Um, always a wild Saturday night when I'm back back in time to call in the Road Bowl. <laughs>
0: Appreciate it.
5: <laughs> no doubt. Just, just real quick, pro. I was, uh, I was driving across the country. I was on the outskirts of Dallas, and I got a flat tire um, on the side of the road. Who should pull up but Rick Carlisle? Oh no shit! Have been, wow, couldn't have been nicer. Help me, help me. Uh, gave me his spare. Um, awesome. Had had nothing but positive things to say about you two. So I mm. don't really understand all the negativity, to be honest. Really. Oh yeah! No, I'm just fucking around. I'm just I was fucking gonna around. Say, that geez, never happened. Because he would that have
0: ran happened. you over, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Taking your car.
5: <laughs> when you watch a game and the game ends, and dudes put their hands over their mouths or a towel over their mouths and talk like back in the day, it used to be okay. It's LeBron doing that with Steph on on ABC or whatever. But now it's like fucking Etwan Moore and Frank Kaminsky on a Monday night. Like, what are people talking
1: about that they are so worried about the camera? Like, what's happening? What you got, bro? It depends on the player, really. It it depends on the player. But usually they're talking shit or they're talking. They just, there's so many cameras in the arena. There's so many cameras that, like, they just don't want, you know, if they're swearing or if they're talking about something vile or they might just be talking about normal stuff. But. They just don't want anybody to read their lips because their camera's on them all the time. And it's just an old trick that veterans used to do. It
0: was more done with your own teammates, though, pro. Like, if you were talking to a teammate on the bench, it was like the whole thing of post-game is just so, so theatrical, pro, in my opinion. Like, look at us, we're talking. And then there's that whole, ooh, are they, are they going to form <laughs> right. a big three or a super team? Oh, that thing. Yeah, but it's like, dude, like the opposing players after the game. Number one, I'm not a fan of schmoozing the opposing team's players. Like, I, I, I'm just not a fan of it. We go to battle, we walk off the court, and then hey, behind the scenes, like as you go onto the bus, you catch up with guys. Got no problem with it. But those conversations they're having on court with their towels over their mouths and the media, right? That's so LeBron orchestrated from back in the day, where it just gives him a tip. What's he talking about? Is he recruiting Anthony Davis? Ooh, they can have those exact same conversations behind the scenes with the cameras off them. So. To me, it's, I always laughed at it because I'm like, you guys are going to see each other after the game. If you're boys from back home or if you're forming that super team, you probably had dinner the night before anyway. So to me, it's all, it's all theatrical and it's like, yeah, man, man you played great. And, you know, it's just, yeah. It's an odd energy because like you're enjoying a game. It's a
5: good game. And then all of a sudden the buzzer sounds and you're like, am I in a sixth grade girls <laughs> bathroom with whisper time? Like what, like, what is this?
1: Oh yeah. My bad. I thought you meant during the game. I I, I totally missed that. like the after the game stuff. Yeah. I agree with Bogues. It's mostly it's for theatrics and it's cosmetic. It's you know, I'm not a big fan.
5: Um just do I do I do I got time for a I, I don't want to give it right? I got okay, all right. So Bogues, you had uh you had your, your guy Jock on last week and uh I don't lead with this on dating profiles or anything, but I was watching Jock. Jock Landale, uh, back when he was in partisan. So I I I'm a fan. Like I was like, this dude could maybe be in the NBA. I like him. But you mentioned like when he was down in the G League, you said something along the lines of, Oh, I, I hope you're not down there too long, or I hope you, you know, and pro, I mean, God bless you. But you the G League has been the G League for like seven years now. You're still calling it the D League. So <laughs> yeah. I think like I, I sense, I sense like a little bit of um, maybe dismissiveness of that league. But at the same time, Bogues, you, your coach, a lot, you know, a lot of the best players in Australia. Like the league is pretty fucking good, and it's getting better. It is, you know.
0: I wasn't being dismissive. Uh, I think it was more. I don't think he's. I think he's an NBA rotation player. I really do. on that on that squad, especially, I think it was more from that point of view than shitting on the G league. Um I think it it definitely provides a service for guys like Jock when needed. and he's twenty six, twenty five, twenty six. He's come off a great season in the NBA. I'm not saying that that the translates in the NBA, but there's no excuse why he's not getting five to ten minutes on that squad. Like he runs the floor like a banshee and 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 that alone, should get him a couple of minutes a night. Like if you're, you know, you got Pertle beating the shit out of there big and then you put Jock in for the last two minutes and this dude's running up and down 100 miles an hour, he runs the as one of the best big men rim to rim. I think it's a useful player to have on the roster, but I think Pop's just such a stubborn old school coach where a young rookie, you know, he needs to earn his stripes before he gets in. That, that was more my point. So I think, he's, I think he's ready to play in the NBA. I'm not saying 20, 30 minutes. I think he can definitely come in and provide some spot minutes for him, especially when Pertle went down. And that was ridiculous that he didn't get an opportunity. So, it was more from, the, from that point of view. It wasn't so much that, you know, I hope you're not down there too long. And, and, and look, from his, from his, his mental, probably what he was thinking was, I've played in partisan, I've played for some of the best teams in the world, I had a great Olympics. Like, I've come here to play in the NBA, not the G League. And I don't, you know, that would be If he was a 19 year old rookie, um, they just got drafted in the second round, they brought him in, they sent him to G League for a year. That's a whole different story. But he's, they've brought him in as a 26 year old, knowing that, this isn't a guy we're trying to develop. Like he's he's probably five or six years away from from you know him going downhill with age and whatever, right? So that's why it doesn't make sense to me.
5: Right. Well, and I I feel that, and and like I want to see him do well. Um, but the name that you're not mentioning is the dude in front of uh, on the depth chart is Drew Eubanks, who, I mean he's been a, a G League guy for, for years, um, was on a two-way deal, I think a couple of years in a row. And, like, I watch him, man, and he's kind of like, you know, one of your old teammates, Dan reach He's like Dan reach with a little edge, with a little yep. more basketball IQ. I think he's, he, he moves his feet well. He guards the rim. He's, he's a little feisty. Like, that's the dude that he has to beat out. And, and like, frankly, he's better he than is that he is. Right, he now. right
0: now. But, I mean, there's still I still think there's spot And he's younger. There. Like, I, th- I think you can have smaller lineups. We all know the league likes to go small. Jock can definitely sneak into a couple of minutes at the five if, needed be, if need be with the way small lineups go. So, I think there's minutes there. Like I said, I don't think it's a huge amount of minutes, but I think he deserves to be in the rotation at, at a, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 aspect. He definitely doesn't deserve to be 15, 16, 17 right now, which is what he is up and down the G League like a yo-yo. So, it's probably more from that point of view, I think. I feel you. I feel you. Appreciate it, man. We will go on to our last question, which is from Dan.
3: Yeah, good day, guys. Just want to wish you a happy Christmas for the upcoming Christmas season. Um, pro, my, my little under twelves did well yesterday, thanks to your help again. Now, couple of questions. What do you see as the MVP candidates for this season and so far, and playoff potential for the for the finals? given the data we've seen so far this season. Who do you
0: think is going to finish in the finals, you mean?
3: Yeah. Good luck with that one.
0: Well, for me, I picked I picked Kevin Durant as my MVP preseason. I think Steph's up there. Giannis is kind of in the mix. The one name who has been blatantly disrespected and I saw Zach Lowe get fired up about it. Nikola Jokic is, it's almost like he's fallen off the edge of the earth, bro. Like they, they're just talking, it's ta- talking about a race for Steph versus LeBron. And we know ESPN is LeBron light. Anything, anything LeBron's people want promoted, ESPN does and gets on their knees for. But I think Jokic is probably, when you look at the numbers of what he's doing right now, his numbers are mind boggling. He's plus minus, he's plus 14 on the floor and they're like minus 16 with him on the floor, or whatever it is, um, off the floor, sorry. And, uh, he's shooting at almost 60% from the field and I don't have the numbers in front of me but it's something like 27, 8 and 7 a night like his numbers are mind boggling and he's not even in the conversation so I don't know if it's the Denver fatigue small market he won it last year We can't have another another slow unathletic dude win it um, I don't know what it is but it's like Zach Lowe I 100% agree with it's blatantly disrespectful that he's not in the conversation so I, I'll probably have those I'd probably rule Giannis out in a distant fourth it's a mix of, 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 of Jokic K uh, and um, Steph, in my opinion, and look, I, I could not pick finals right now. This this COVID thing, like I just said, the Nets have you know eighty percent of their rosters sidelined right now in the game today. I have no idea. Um, it's going to come down to health and protocol. Look, you could get into a final series in a one versus eight, and the the one seed loses five of its starters and three of its important role players and then has to play eight seed and they get thumped in three games and then can't recover. You know, you just don't know what can happen. And, and that's why I think COVID's just throwing a spatter in the works, even more so than the bubble. I'd, I'd probably argue pro because they can't really, they just can't stop this flow now of, 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 of protocol, protocol, protocol. And it's, it's, it's tough. What, what do you got pro?
1: I, I totally agree with you as far as picking as a champion. I, I think it's almost impossible at this point, just because of, you just don't know. You don't know. You know, if they're going to continue the season, you, you know, guys going out for 10 days that are whack and then two or three guys getting whacked, you know, every couple of days for each team. It's, it's It just seems like it's overwhelming and it's really hard to really, you know, depend on all your your players and your rotations and people getting comfortable and in and a, and a groove, you know. So, yeah, I think it's it's very tough. Um, as far as MVP, I had Luca in the beginning of the year. I, I think – No way. I don't know. I
0: don't he's think out for he'll a while get bro. it.
1: I hope he does, no. but I don't think – yeah, I don't think he'll get it, obviously. Yeah, so he's been – he's out for a while. and But then again, it's the season's still early if, if God forbid, there's a pause and he can get back his footing. But I think it's, I think it's Durant and, and Steph. Um, Jokic's numbers like 26-14 and something like 8, shooting 59 from the field. I do agree that he should definitely be more into it. Um, his team sort of flatlining though with injuries and things. Although winning does it yeah, you know, I guess it's not the most important thing with the MVP race. But um, how much games is that it's roster, interesting. roster I think win
0: it's, as it is pro right now in Denver with Paula out? They've got two max guys out, right? Take Jokic away from that roster, how many games yes. do they win right now? Not many.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I would, yeah, I would say, I would say probably if if start of the season they probably win as many as they, as they have right now throughout the whole year. They probably get fifteen to twenty exactly. of the whole year tops. So
0: he's single handedly keeping them. They're in the race for the playoffs single handedly. Really, like they. You look at some of these matchups. They're fifteen and fourteen right now. They're six and four in their last ten. They're in the seventh seed, and they're only a couple of games out of potentially fifth. I mean, he's done. I think he's right up there in my opinion. I just, I, I just, I just can't understand the disrespect that we've completely. Some people don't have him in their top five. Like, it's it's outrageous.
3: I think you're right, though, Bogues, with small market syndrome, and he's not the big-name, classy, flashy player. That's, yeah. that's exactly what I think you're fed you're on.
1: Yeah, I mean, he plays like Avita Sabonis you know, did in the 80s, and not a lot of people got to see him play. And if you watch film on him, he's ridiculous. And just not a sexy way to play. Bill Walton was the same way. He just wasn't a sexy player. He was hurt most of his career, correct, but, like... You know, Jokic just gets things done. If you're a basketball purist, you love watching yeah, no play. Doubt. No doubt. If you know it if but everybody loves the flashy play. He's and just not looked, that. So. Of, you can't take away yeah. what
0: KD and Steph are doing. Steph, the whole fairy tale of breaking the three-point record is going to, I think, give him more probably votes. Um, and KD's having a hell of a year as well. So you can't take those two away. But I just think Jokic should be in the conversation. Whether whether it's one of those three that you pick, you can't you can't argue. If one of those three gets it, You probably it's hard to argue against. But I think those three are the ones that are in the conversation for me. And I, I anticipate them being in the top three. But uh, thanks for that one, Dan. We'll wrap up episode 47, Q&A. Thanks everyone for joining us. So join us next week. Share this around. Catch you next time.
4: Thanks, fellas.